0: yo people welcome back to off at sea with tj scott episode six and i'll be honest uh this one i've been looking forward to doing for a long time um especially since i connected with my guest here um and we've we known of each other for a while you know back when you know high school college footy and you know it's crazy now to see how how he's grown how i've grown and you know I can't I can't uh I mean his name's Zach Young. Zach, how you doing?
1: Good man, thank you. That's a that's a nice little intro. Yeah, it's it's been <laughs> yeah I think we connected in high school and then you went to go play for the college rival and then yeah now now we're both now we're both out so now we're both trying to do our own thing.
0: Right, exactly, bro. And that's what it is, you know. I mean that's how life works, you know, and that's what the sport does, you know. It brings people together in ways that you may not have seen it. No, in, in in present time, but, um, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, it brought us back uh, to talking, you know, connections and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's get started. So, you know, obviously you're a big fan of the sport. You played the sport mostly for your whole life, right? Um, what was your first club growing up in terms of playing? Oh,
1: in terms of playing, oh, I, I was actually really late to the, the whole travel. I, I think I played... I played rec as a child, and I quit when I was younger. I moved on to like basketball and, and other sports. Um, middle school came around, and I, I went to my middle school tryouts, and I quit in my tryouts, and I never played in middle school. Uh, high school came around, and I went to, went to tryouts, and then I quit, and I decided not to, and then I walked on the team as a right back, as a JV right back, and then my junior year, I became a goalkeeper keeper um, mm-hmm. overnight. I went to the U.S. Naval Academy for about three months and, and trained there um, and, and did a lot of goalkeeping-specific training, and it was a nice summer camp. And then I came back as a goalkeeper. I played my junior year. I joined Cherry Hill FC, which is my, my town's local team. I played there for a year, and then my summer going into my senior year, I committed. So I played goalie for one year. Uh, I committed to a college, and then I played club my senior year again for, for Cherry Hill FC, and that was it. And then I played in college. But... For me, I was always I was always a goalkeeper, um, but I always tried to play different things. And you know, I was always good with my feet, and I'm really good at playing out of the back, and I have really good foot skills because I always played different positions, especially when I was younger. Um, but but you know, the transition was my dad was a goalkeeper when he played, and, and then I was like, as as a child, I'd play around with it, and, and I would try to be a goalkeeper. So I knew how how it worked, and it wasn't as night and day as it sounds. Um, but yeah, then obviously played at Rosemont for three years for college I I played forward and goalkeeper so I would switch every week and you know depending on what the opponent was and depending on what we needed for personnel like I would be a goalkeeper or forward it may be a situation where we need you for you know 15 minutes on the field at the center attacking mid to run around and and pull strings or you know we have a a team we're playing against and we really want to build out of the back and use your foot skills so it really depended on what the team needed so for three years I, I played both positions and I probably actually played more minutes at center attacking mid than I did goalkeeper, but uh, definitely a a unique experience. And I wasn't the greatest player in the world. I love the, I love the death. I love the sport to death, but I I tried my hand at coaching and now, now where I'm at, but the the playing experience definitely helped. And I definitely didn't play as much as, as most people do since kids start at an extremely young
0: age and I kind of was late to the party. Absolutely, bro. And I mean, that's what makes, you know, a lot, I think with us soccer a lot, unique you know because there's people obviously there's people who have the money right to start their kids in these you know big academies or big programs at such a young age like at five six years old and all the way up um but hearing stories like like yours you know starting late and you know not absolutely being i guess ingrained in it at, at an early age mm-hmm. um but you worked your way up to you know to the point that you were i mean in terms of as, as a player uh getting to that point it's always good to hear um so I guess I mean you talked about you know a lot of different things there you talked about you know your college experience your high school experience and obviously your youth experience um I guess dive deeper into I guess your high school experience how was that uh,
1: it, it it was it was good and 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 I'll get into the college experience right after this since it follows pretty naturally uh, right. I think a lot of high school players have this the same thing where you know my, my junior year I won most improved player it was my first year on varsity you know, to a lot of people, it's like ah, oh, that's kind of like a, a stupid award. And for me, it was like you know, I I turned I turned into a goalkeeper and and I progressed so much to the point where that's what was given to me. Um, but you know, my junior year we, we were seventeen three and one, and you know, I wasn't the best goalkeeper. Uh, you know, by a country mile, I didn't I didn't have a lot of confidence, but I I can make the occasion all really good save. And my foot skills were good. I also had a lot of groin issues and, and had problems taking my own sixes. Mm-hmm. Um, but my senior year was the year where it all really, really changed. And that's where you know, I was third-team All-State. I was first-team All-Conference. I played in the South Jersey uh, senior All-Star game. And that's where the accolades really started coming in. I was in New Jersey's top 25 goalkeepers. Um, and, you know, that's where, you know, you kind of become the man. Like, I'm, I'm starting week in, week out. I played every game of the season. You know, we – I think I think I had, like, 10, 10 clean sheets. And we were, like, 15-5-1. We, we were a little – less good but we won the conference and then we ended up going to the final where we played christian brothers and, and lost 2-0 yes. but all in all like, that was probably the best playing experience and and i was performing at my best and you know reflecting on it now if i knew what i did now i would probably be 10 times better goalkeeper than i was but that's kind of the the sport but you know then you know transitioning into college and what i wanted to get into is you know you go from playing week in week out you go from being the man you go from being first you know a conference to you're now the number two goalkeeper, and right. it's really hard for a lot of, especially young players, to you get their head around where it's like there's always someone better than you, absolutely, um, and they may not be on your team or they may be on your team. And you know, I was behind a, a goalkeeper named Grant, and Grant was a really, really good goalkeeper. Uh, you know, I'm only coming in at 5'8 and Grant was about six foot two. Okay, so that you know, I was already up against it before, and he had played um, you know, extensively at, at other colleges before. Had limited trial at a D one, uh, you know team so you know for my first two years i didn't play much goalkeeper but i played on the field but you know for me i took it with a grain of salt where it was like this is a chance for me to develop my foot skills and you know for me i love football so like i i just was like okay let me go run around for 20 minutes a game not a problem like i just love playing so i wasn't too hard on myself my, my freshman and sophomore year because it was a learning experience i was i was playing on the field as a goalkeeper which i thought was the coolest thing in the entire world right um and, you know, junior year, in my 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 last year, senior year, because of COVID, uh, that that was probably one of the hardest experiences for me, just because it, it got to a point where I came in as a field player um, okay. and I was doing well, and I was like the third choice striker, which we were a really good team at the time, and we had really developed into a good squad, so it it was good. I'm, I'm I was happy to be the third choice. I was getting limited minutes here and there, running around some garbage time. Um, but our our backup goalkeeper had fractured his collarbone in, okay. in training, so I said. I'll go and go for the team because it makes more sense to have another goalkeeper rather than just shooting on one goalkeeper the whole time. So then that's when I transitioned back into goalkeeper. And, you know, I was fighting for a first-team spot. And, you know, I got got a minute. I started. uh, I got a start, and I had a clean sheet. Mm -hmm. And I played really well, and I never played again. And my coach said that, you know, you're the better goalkeeper. You're better with your feet. You're a better shot stopper. But he's younger, and he can catch crosses a little bit better than you. So right. for me, I'm like, it's my senior year, you know, they want to play the younger guy and that's fine. And, you know, I regret the way I went about it as a lesson for young goalkeepers, of course. You know, I wasn't right. a great teammate after that. Yeah, I was really frustrated because it was like, this is my last year on playing. You told me I'm the better goalkeeper and now I'm not playing at all. And, you know, I went about it really poorly and I probably could have been a little bit more positive and a better teammate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't like causing issues or anything, but I, I was definitely very outward about my opinion on why I should be playing and and why I'm not playing so that, you know, my senior year, I didn't play much. You know, I, I, I played a lot on the field towards the end of the year. I switched back and was lucky enough to, to score a goal and, and have, you know, so I think I, I have a goal and two assists in my career. And mm. based off the minutes I've played, it, it's not terrible in terms of my, my, uh, my turnaround and my prolificness. But yeah, I played, I played just about, just, just about 35, college game so mm-hmm. nothing too nothing too crazy but you know it was just it was something to be a part of it was good for fitness and it, it for me it was you know I just love football I just want to be right. a part of it
0: right I mean obviously you know obviously that's the most important thing you know enjoying the sport while you can while you have the ability to play um but I guess I'll ask this before I, I go into I guess your recruiting process so how do you think in terms of your perspective as a fear player as a goalkeeper, your overall knowledge, how do you think that helped?
1: Uh, I tell everybody. Uh, as a striker, I can tell you what a goalkeeper is looking for because I know mm-hmm. the little intricacies. I know, I know when a goalkeeper is looking at this angle. You you cut across the 18. I know I'm going to look for the reverse ball, but I can't commit to it to the near post, so I have to take a back step. So there's these little things where, you know, when when I coach strikers, it's really easy for me to teach them how to finish because for me playing as a goalkeeper, I can tell you what I'm looking for, and I can right. tell you – what my tendencies are and, and what the angle says for a goalkeeper, and then, as a goalkeeper, I can tell you what a striker's looking for you know from where he's shooting the ball and from what I've told him, this is what he's expecting me to do, and you know when he takes his touch like this, there's only you know one, two places he can go if he's gonna hit the reverse ball there, we have to be set here. so it's one of those things where they actually work amazing and from seeing the field as a goalkeeper to now seeing the field as a striker, they actually go hand in hand and and most mm-hmm. people think they're mutually exclusive but they're essentially pretty pretty integrated and knowing one definitely helps the other and you know you can look at it where like you know if you let in a goal it's either it's just a really bad save and if a goalkeeper saves the ball it's just a really bad finish
0: absolutely bro i mean you couldn't have said any better than that you know like you said it may seem like they're two extremes but in reality they go hand in hand and um Honestly, it's good that you know you're able to get that out and you're able to teach that to you know youth players because once again that perspective isn't really seen as much just because people are so siloed into one position at such a young age, mm-hmm. you know. So having that broader perspective definitely is is, is going it's, it's helpful. You know, it's definitely helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess going on to what I was going to uh, go on to before. So your recruiting process uh, going from high school to college, how was that?
1: I was I was um I was one and done. I was, mm. yeah, I was one and done. I could have played at a lot of places. I had a couple of Division two offers, um, tons of D3 opportunities. Rowan, and um, Cabrini, actually, reached out to me. But I went to, to Rosemont because we, we weren't a very good team at the time. And for mm-hmm. me, like I said, I love football. I just want to play. And I didn't want to go waste my time and my happiness going to a better school to not play at all. So right. I, I went to a, a lower school. We were not very good my freshman freshman, sophomore year, but I was playing a lot. And I also was fortunate enough to get a full academic scholarship there. So for me, I was like, I get to play football and I get I get a free education. Um, and then, you know, by the end of my my senior year, we actually went to um, the NCAA finals. Mm-hmm. And we, we played and the, took the tournament and we played the number one team in the country and lost. But, you know, from the time that I committed until then, it was like night and day. And yeah, like I said, I just wanted to play and it, it was pretty simple. I applied, I got a full ride after a bunch of interviews and I was like, this is where I'm, this is where I'm going to go.
0: Absolutely, bro. Was it the? Did you guys play Amherst that year, or was is that? Yeah. I, okay, yeah. so yeah. I might have been the year that You was up in Massachusetts, right, Bowson? Yep. Mm-hmm. So you were on that team, okay, okay. So obviously so last year, yeah. And I actually went. I actually went on and played thirteen minutes at left striker. So how was uh, that
1: experience? I got, <laughs> I got to play. Yeah, no, it was cool. I mean, my my uh, my family's actually from Massachusetts. Like my cousins live there, so they actually mm-hmm. came out to the game, and it it wasn't too far from Boston, and it was it was my last 13 minutes of my collegiate career, and I'm glad someone got to watch it. And you know, I didn't really I didn't touch the ball much. I think I flicked on one header, and that was that. Um, but yeah, I know it, it was cool. I mean, a it, it beautiful facility. The grass yeah, was yeah. The grass was beautiful. Um, you know, obviously you play the number one team in the country first round. It's is what it is at that point.
0: Right. Um, I guess I can speak from not for myself, but I mean, I, I was obviously up up there as well. Um, cause it was like us, it was us, uh, versus you guys played Amherst and then we played BAPS in the, like the game right after. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, bro. like the facilities there, like the, the whole experience was so cool. Uh, it felt like we were like, you know, the most important people, if if that makes yep. any sense. Yeah, no, um, sure. It was awesome. But yeah, obviously like, hopefully I, I wish every, I guess, American D3 athlete, you know, that chance to ever play in a national tournament like that, because it was awesome. Phew, what, what a place, but um, I guess going into your academics, right? So what was your major? I was sports and management and then mm-hmm. I had a minor mm-hmm. in art and then and I, how... Oh, my fault. I didn't even cut
1: you off there. No, no, you're good, man. Uh, no, then I actually, I did an accelerated master's degree program. So then I started my sophomore year taking master's degree class classes. So when I graduated, um, in May, I finished my master's three months later. So mm-hmm. you know, I, had, I had a master's degree at 21.
0: Nice, bro. I mean, once again, free college, and you already had that fast track, you know? So, yeah, um, I guess. How were there any internships that you did in college that was related to that? I, I did an internship for uh, a company that
1: is was completely unrelated to my major, and it was during COVID. And I only did the internship just to fulfill the requirement, but I won't even speak about that because it it didn't even it it literally had nothing to do with what I wanted to do in life.
0: <laughs> right, right. So I guess, what was the first job then that was related to what you were doing or what um, you studied?
1: yeah I think the Philadelphia Union was probably okay. a big one. yeah, it's a cool one to talk about. Um, yeah so at I, I, the end of my in the end of my senior year, I joined the Philadelphia Union as a youth coach. Um, so you know at the beginning it was a lot of summer camps and mm-hmm. affiliate trainings where you would go to a, a club in the tri-state area and then right. you would represent the union and put on a training session once per week for different clubs just to show good face uh, and then that developed and i did really well and i joined the the player pathway program which is called the ppp mm-hmm. and it is essentially a pre-academy um so it's it's a holding tank for academy players and they're split up by tiers where it goes gold navy white white being that you're on your way out but we're going to give you a little bit chance to stay okay. Navy being, you know you may be a really good player but you're missing something and then gold is you know you can go in the academy at any moment at a moment's notice So I was the goalkeeper coach and I was the head goalkeeper coach for the Pennsylvania player pathway program, which was held Mm. at the proving grounds every Friday night. So there I managed about 20, 25 goalkeepers from the ages of like seven all the way to 17. So I'd be there for three hours every Friday, just doing goalkeeper training. I'd go to their tournaments. Mm -hmm. Um, A few few of the kids actually made it to the Academy, which was incredible. A really good feeling for me. So, So that really helped. And, Obviously, with my with my job now, which we'll get into, it definitely helps me see the game in a in a, in a tactical sense and in a an analytic sense. But mm-hmm. there's only so much detail I can go in since I'm only I only dealt with younger kids rather than professional players. Right. Um, so, but I was at the Philadelphia Union for about a year, uh, a year and a couple months. Um. So that was definitely my first professional sports experience. Mm-hmm. I had done private training sessions for years before since I was like 16. Um. So I've been I've been coaching since I was yes for about eight years or so. Nice. So I, I've definitely been through the ringer with it, with, with it all. But the Philadelphia Union was definitely the first uh, job that was really, really set me up for, for what I was gonna do.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess we can go into what you do currently. So um, I know off camera, not even like off camera, but like, you know, texting and things like that. And um, you know, I asked how you got into the industry of being, you know, football agency. So, um, you know, did you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a drawn out process. Mm. Um, so about six months ago, I joined an agency called Refuel Performance Management. Um, and if you know goalkeepers, it's Ben Foster, Osmir Begovic, um, Thomas Vashlet, who won the Europa League with Sevilla, Jonathan yep. Bond, Sean Johnson. So it's a goalkeeper specific agency. And I had saw a podcast with uh, Richard Lee, then Richard Lee's the director. And he was on the podcast with Ben Foster. Mm-hmm. And I DM'd Richard Lee after the podcast and I said, I am really interested in, in agency, but how do you how do you get started? Because at the time the agency exam and the agency license was kind of hidden.
0: okay And it was almost
1: like a select group of people and you had to know somebody. So we ended up chatting um, for the transfer window in January and he said, listen, I'll keep in contact, you know keep keep doing what you're doing. Um, I was studying for law school at the time that was going to be my next career path and he said, you know keep keep doing what you're doing. Keep studying for law school and I'll talk to you after the transfer window. So we, we got to the transfer window. Uh, it, it ended and I, I kept in contact and I, I was doing this. And he said, listen, we're, we're growing at an exponential rate. He says, you can keep doing law school on the side, but we're going to give you an, an opportunity to, to try your hand at this. And, you know, it's labeled as an internship, but it's more so here's a free trial for a couple months and we want you to to showcase what what you can do. Right. So, you know, I, I have always known what agency was and I always wanted to do it. Um, but now it was like, let's, let's, let's get to the business. So I was on a, an internship contract till July 1st, actually recently. And I've been able to, to sign 11 players and there's about seven more ready to sign. Um, you know, knock on wood, all things go well towards the right. end of the year. Right. Um, but you know, I, I pay my dues and that's what I tell people all the time and it's, You know, I got my way into the industry because I did it on my own and I I did it for free. I went unpaid for six months. Uh, I worked really long hours. I still do. And I did it just because this is the chance that I wanted. And then on top of that, in order to be an agent, you have to be a FIFA licensed agent. FIFA is the governing body of agents now. So in order to be an agent, you have to pass an exam. Mm -hmm. So you have to fly to the headquarters of the football association in your country. So in the United States, the USSF and the USSF is headquarters this is in Chicago. Right. So I have to fly to Chicago, which is not cheap, stay in Chicago. Then you have to take an open note exam um, in the morning and the open note exam is 20 questions. You have to get 15 out of 20 correct. And they give you 650 pages of material that you're allowed to have with you in the exam. And people go, wow, this sounds really, really easy. The pass rate is only 30 percent. And mm. the pass rate is only 30% right now, and there's still one more round of testing to go. So I think the pass rate will probably settle around the 25, 20% mark. It's a very, very hard test to get into. And, and historically, it was around 15%. And mm-hmm. they had had testing in 2015, but they had stopped it and done a subscription-based service where all you had to do is pay to be an agent. But now right. they reintroduced these rules. So then you have to pay to go sit the test. It's $400. to then take the test. You have to then pay for flight and room. Mm. food and everything like that. And then if you pass the exam, which I was obviously very fortunate enough to do and I, I studied very hard for, then you have to pay six hundred dollars a year to be an agent. So it you know, it's like a two thousand dollar endeavor right. and that doesn't guarantee you anything. You right. you go, you're a you're a FIFA licensed agent, congratulations. But what are you gonna go do with that? If you're not working for an agency, it, it's it's borderline impossible to to do by yourself. And we can get into why it's so hard to do um but it's it's one of those where you have to have the license to do it and starting October first it'll be regulated and then you have continual professional development and it's called the FIFA agency platform so once okay. you pass, you sign up, you have a platform online and which is like it's kind of like canvas or like your like what you would use for school where it's just your your dashboard for work since they're the governing service and you you have to do hours and you have to do accredited classes and you have to do all sorts of things to ensure that you're you're doing everything properly which you know, the, the test, I think, is a really good thing, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, I know agents who are, are, great, are great agents, but terrible test takers, and I know great test takers who are terrible agents. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think it's very indicative of agency, per se, but I think it's a really good regulation to have in place, and a lot of the questions they ask don't exactly align with what I would do in my everyday life, okay. um, but that being said, having passed that and then having... You know, completed my internship and, and done really well and signed a lot of players and negotiated a lot of brand deals. You know, I'm now full time. Uh, I'm now the director of Refuel Performance Management in the United States. Nice. I'm also the data the head of the database uh, and data analytic section of the agency and then I'm also an agent. So I have three um, different roles within the agency and I now manage the entire United States landscape for
0: the agency and I'm the director of that. Nice bro. I mean congrats. Um <laughs> So Thank I guess going you. into the data analytics part, um, what does that entail specifically? I, uh,
1: yeah, it's, it's crazy. So it started with me just doing the United States. Um, we have spreadsheets and, and everything. And uh, I think I, I showed you in, in privacy without giving away inf- any information. But I mean, if you wanted someone's contact information in the world of football, I have everybody's phone number. It's crazy. Right. Um, but a lot of the analytics that I do is I have a spreadsheet tab with every league in the world. And I have every goalkeeper in the world, number one through number five, if there is. And it's name, date of birth, height, nation, caps, contract, highlight reel, games professional, contact status, injured, loan, loaned in. And -hmm. this way, I can see every opening across the entire world. Because if we have a goalkeeper in the United States and he's really good, maybe he can make the jump to Europe. Where are the openings? Where are the contracts? Hey, you know, maybe this isn't a good time right now, but this club has three contracts expiring and they're not going to renew. So it's all this type of information because being an Asian is one thing and getting a license is one thing, like I said. But if you don't have the club contacts and you don't have the market research, I mean, what are you going to do with your players? You can't do anything with them besides just have them. So it's important that we know the openings. We call the clubs and we talk and contact the goalkeeper coaches directly. So we're in constant communication with them. And and then we're able to speak with them on a daily basis and go, hey, what are you guys looking for in the offseason? What are you guys looking for at the end of the year? Or do you want to make a change? Do you want to have a goalkeeper transfer? Do you need a different goalkeeper that fits your profile? You know, we have a separate tab where we're able to record all of the responses we have, all the Premier League, everybody. And we have everybody's responses. And that way, you know, we can look at our data and what the contracts mm-hmm. say. We can then contact the clubs based off this information. And now we have an almost picture-perfect idea of what the market is saying. And since we only do goalkeepers, no one can compete with us and, and our staff, especially, you know, our, our goalkeeper analytics, our goalkeeper coaches.
0: And there's a few very well-known people that have, have joined as well. Absolutely, bro. I mean, once again, having that centric, you know, that niche of, you know, mm-hmm. just specifically goalkeepers, like, it's hard to dispute that, you know, especially when you have, like like you said, like Refuel in you're the director of the United States. And I'm, I'm guessing there's obviously directors across, you know, the world, like, you know, you got... Or is it just the United States in, that's in England?
1: True. That's it? Really? Yeah. So it's just, it's there's three directors. I'm, I'm like a self-proclaimed director since I own the LLC. And that's just what I deal with. But they're primarily in Europe. And Rich, Sam, and Scott are the three directors of, of the European and English market. And then I'm the sole director of the United States market. That's it. Wow, bro. It's, so... so it's a med- it's a medium, to, medium to, to small, medium to large uh, agency. It's only 15 mm-hmm. people. Uh, but we're the leading goalkeeper transfers to the past seven transfer windows. Wow. So yeah, so I mean, it's it's there's about seventy players, um, about fifty fifty or five or so goalkeepers, and about thirty million dollars worth of talent. hmm So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a it's yeah, it's a lot. It's cool, and it's it's definitely one where
0: you have to be careful because you don't want to take mm-hmm. too many
1: people. You don't want to take too many people on, but you actually, in my opinion, you have less issues when you take more players on. In what ways because you know everything where if i have like let's take let's take an an example so i have you know six usl players currently Mm -hmm. if one of my players leaves their club i know that one of my players can move to that club so you know if i have the starters at every single usl club i can just move them all around and fill each other's places whereas Mm -hmm. if you don't have all of their if you don't have all their information you don't have a bunch of players then you're kind of just like, oh, this is available. This is available. Where I can strategically go, he's leaving. This profile fits here. And then you can replace him there. So that way it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. And having more players actually allows for more freedom. And then you already have the relationship with the club. You know how mm-hmm. the clubs are going to negotiate contracts. And now you know the openings and what the contracts
0: are going to be. Mm, and now okay. as, as the agent, I know the move that's going to happen before anyone knows it. Right. And I guess going into that, has it? how has your relationships with like the media, How how does that go? Into play, mm. In terms of like my personal media or like media appearances, uh, I would say in terms of maybe just like breaking news, like breaking, like you know, if somebody's going to transfer somewhere, like that sort of thing. Like, how do you deal with that?
1: Um, I know it before Fabrizio knows it. Okay. So yeah, like I so everybody thinks Fabrizio's quick. I mean, I could, I, I probably know most transfers a couple of weeks before they're even announced, but mm-hmm. by Fabrizio. Uh, in the goalkeeper world specifically, um, you know, like Lawrence Vigaro, which was just announced to Burnley, um, uh, yep. from Lane Orient, you know, league, league Two all the way to you know the Premier League, right. which is insane. Uh, I've known about that for about a month now, and then it was mm-hmm. finally announced last week. And you know, there's a couple, there's a couple goalkeepers like you know, Raya's transfer listed that's that's well known and asked for move. I knew about that about three months ago. We have okay. it we call, because we called because we called the club directly, so you know, I have a lot of. Sensitive information that I would never give out, obviously, because it right. affects my well-being. I don't want anyone to know that. Um, but in terms of the media, I mean, we have a media team as well, and we're very good at, at you know getting our players positive publicity as well as managing the ones that are out there. But in terms of moves and deals and everything like that, we actually we we know it before it even happens. And since we're so well connected with the clubs and the coaches, we hear about it often months before it's even
0: leaked. So I guess what I was trying to allude to was, I mean, he answered my question. Absolutely. But I guess, I I mean, I guess I wanted to understand how journalists get their information. Is it like via the club? Is it via agents? Is it via, you know, people like that? But I mean, I mean, I actually, I
1: actually don't know. Um, But Mm -hmm. now that I'm in this position, I could probably tell you that an agent is, is the one that's responsible for it. And it's done on purpose. Mm hmm most of the time to stir up some transfer oh my god he, you know he's leaked blah. Oh, that's why that's why sometimes they're leaked at weird times or right. like a couple of months before and you're like why is this even coming out now and it's like we're trying to generate positive media and we we do it to a to a certain extent um you know my director and, and my boss and, and matt are social media guys amazing at, at editing he's responsible for the goalkeepers union podcast which is very well known on spotify mm-hmm. um and, you know, they use that as a positive platform for for players where they interview different goalkeepers. You know, they've had Lawrence on, they've had Begovic on, they've had Joe Hart on. And it can be really positive publicity. It can really help a goalkeeper's story get out there. It can generate some good media. You really get to understand players like that. So a lot of times from clubs and, and um, agents, the media side of things is actually
0: used as a tool absolutely bro i mean that's actually good to know because once again i know a lot of people they read things on twitter you know what i'm saying they see the notification and they don't really understand you know how that process works so um obviously for somebody who's i want to say casual but they get the news and they just don't really think much mm-hmm. about it you know it's it's good to know the background for sure yeah um so i guess were there any growing pains when you first started the job
1: oh, i'm still going through them to be honest okay. Cause, cause what it is, is that, you know, the transfer window actually opened up today, um, mm-hmm. July 5th. But as most people know, the United States transfer window, I mean, the summer doesn't really, nothing really happens. It, it's squads are solidified. You may see a designated player come over, but it, it's not really, you know, some short term loans. But for me, I, I have a lot of players in the USL. So it, it's not a, um, a buzzing market mm-hmm. in general for, for transfers. Um, but you know, I've entered this first phase of talent acquisition is what I call it, where I've signed all these players. I've got them to buy into, to our process. You know, I've shown them our credentials. I've showed them what we're capable of. Um, I've been transparent. I've been honest and I've got them to join us. And that's great. So now we have a, um, a, a not even like, a, like an Amazon, uh, you know, we, you can look up who you want and, and we have them. now. So that's great. And that took me a lot of learning. How, what's, what's the right message to send? How do I contact the club? And, now we're in the second phase where it's now we have a player we have to do something with them. You know, I've flown mm-hmm. out to see a, a couple here and there, and that's that's fun and all good. But you know, it's not to be selfish, but you know, if, if they don't make money, I don't make money, and we don't make money. So now it comes to the point where we got to get something going here. The transfer window is opening, the league's actually coming to an end, and that big mm-hmm. next transfer window. That's when we have to generate some income on the back of the year, right? So that's the next phase. For me, um, and, you know, including contacting the clubs and it's been good and I have a r- good relationship with a lot of goalkeeper coaches, but I have to continue to form them and stay on top of them. Um, you know, brand deals was a, was a growing pain at first, but now that's probably what I'm best at, at the moment, getting brand mm-hmm. deals and different for sponsorships. So yeah, I would, I would say, you know, the, the club contacts and, and the beginning of the transfers and, you know, I haven't really done a, a deal per se yet. So learning how the clubs are going to negotiate, you know, what do I come back with? Should I start high? Should I start low? um you know there's housing stipends involved in the usl on top of salary right so you know have to negotiate that for a player you know is the player married is he expecting mm-hmm. a baby you know these are important information that have to come into play as well just because no, you know the usl doesn't pay a lot of money but you you want the most money possible um and then you know on top of all of that you know mls next pro i, I have two players that are playing mls next pro um and it's important that they're setting themselves up for the future and that's a little bit higher level even though it's considered the third tier but that's where you can really set yourself up because those MLS Next players they train with the first team all the time
0: that makes sense and um, I mean how, how is that I guess with obviously there's a split between obviously like Red Bull 2 Union 2 I mean not even Union 2 but like you know like the teams like that they're a part of the USL championship like how do you think the MLS Next Pro how do you think that affects in terms of, like transfers and maybe opportunities in the future
1: yeah, I mean the USL has definitely differentiated itself now. Where they they used to be um, a lot of those breakoff teams, but now MLS Next Pro are only the breakoffs. So like Bethlehem Steel, that doesn't exist anymore. The Union Two right. is what Bethlehem Steel would have been, but now they're in the MLS Next Pro. I think MLS Next Pro is actually my favorite place to look, and the mm-hmm. reason is because they're directly correlated to the club. They're signed to the club, but they're signed on a MLS Next contract. Right. Uh, we, we can take Mihailo, for example, one of my players, Mihailo Miskevich, great guy. Um, you know, he's on X amount of money, but he's been there since he was a kid. So he's a homegrown player. And, you know, the number two and the number three at Chicago are going to be 32 years old next year. And, you know, then you have Chris Brady, who's, who's you know, Gagos regenerated, another young goalkeeper from Chicago that looks yeah. like he's going to be on the move to, to, to Europe eventually. So for someone like Mihailo, I look at it and I go, you know, a first team contract for him in the next couple of years, you know, turning 25, it's really gonna set him up nicely. And and it's that's the type of market knowledge I need to know. And you know, Mihailov, he trains with the first team. Mm-hmm. He he's at the club, he's at the training facilities, and he was in the academy since he was a kid. So all these things inside of MLS Next that come together, I think it's the best, the best market possible. I think that's what's going to produce the the best players. But that being said, you know, if it doesn't work out at the the MLS level and the MLS next level, I think the USL is then a really good level for them to then find their feet and play regular minutes.
0: Right. Um, That's all true points. Actually, when I was down in uh, Orlando for vacation last week, uh, my family went to the Orlando uh, City-Chicago Fire match, and Brady actually started for Chicago Fire. Um, But, I mean, I think, unluckily, I think his defense let him down in a lot of situations. But um, obviously, you can see like his ability, and you can see, obviously, he's growing as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, all those points are yeah. all true.
1: He's, he's only 19 years old. It's crazy. He's, right. he's He's so young, and he's so talented. And, you know, yeah. Selenino is the same, you know, 18 years old. He moved to Chelsea. Yep. I, I think you'll see Chris Brady on, on the move pretty soon. I don't, I don't know anything about it. Um, his agent, Brad Friedel, right. he works with us at, at Refu Performance Management now. Um, so, it, it's nice that we have Chris Brady... Um, you know being tied to us in a way um but from from ways ability wise and from what i know about goalkeepers i i don't think it'll be uh
0: i don't think i'll be staying in the united states much longer mm, absolutely so chicago fans if y'all I don't know if you have any chicago viewers but um yeah there you go um so i guess going into your job again so what are like i mean obviously people see the lifestyle right of an agent and they think it's uh you know just negotiating deals and it's like traveling and all this glamorous stuff but like what are things that you know that you think people misconstrue with being easy, but it's really not.
1: Oh, uh, you're right. So, yeah, you you were talking to me about it the other day, and you're like, oh, you got to, you got to go to Miami, and I'm like, yeah, for a couple of days. Um, okay. but you got to there's there's so much there's so much you need to do, and this is why being an agent by yourself is so hard. So you know, for for me, I I gotta do I gotta do brand deals. I have to do brand deals for my players. Mm-hmm. I have to social media post. I gotta be active on social media. I have to be reposting my players, posting when they have games, creating social media graphics, negotiating contracts, mm-hmm. um, speaking to our, our legal team. You know, you have to be, you know, I have to do the market research, contacting and messaging all of the players. Um, you know, if my my player, you know, his, his girlfriend breaks up with him, I got to be there for him, and I'm not nothing wrong with that. But it's another thing. You know, I have to be on call 24 seven. You know, my our director Richard Lee lives in Dubai, so he's eight hours ahead, and I'm the only United States employee, so everybody else lives in England, so it's five hours ahead. So right. while I don't necessarily have a schedule, I have to be available. It's like being on call all the time. You know, so then I'm filling out data, I'm doing graphics, I'm looking at at legal things, and all these things start to add up and add up and add up, and it's like If you don't have a team to to surround you, it's very difficult. You know, we have a concierge person. If you want to make dinner reservations, you can go to her. Social media team, we're doing podcasts for our players. We're doing positive publicity. We have legal counsel doing great. We have a media journalist. We have a Premier League analyst. We have two Premier League goalkeeper coaches, David Rouse. He worked for Man City, Man United, QPR, and um, I I forget the other one, uh, West Brom. Okay. So we have Neil Cutler. Neil Cutler worked for Aston Villa, and he's famously known for being Emmy Martinez's goalkeeper coach. He mm-hmm. works with us too. They're both great guys. I love speaking to them. But then they're they're there for added goalkeeper analysis. If our goalkeepers need help, they want to break down extra film. You know, I had a player the other day asked for a gym program. So then they have to do that as well. Um, and then we have you know we have Brad Friedel. He's there as well as another resource. So. All these things start adding up and, you know, I'm very fortunate that there's only a few of the things I have to focus on, but I do them at a very high level because I have very, you know, I have multiple positions now. But if you're a solo agent, you have to do all of that yourself. Right. You to do all of that yourself for each player. So if you have 10 players and you're putting in that much, time, you don't have enough time in the day to do it. Right. Um, obviously, you know, taking phone calls. I'm speaking to clubs. I'm speaking to players. I'm speaking to new players. I'm DMing players. Um, I'm following every game. I'm taking notes. So it's, it's a busy thing, but for me, I think it's very easy. And the reason I think it's easy is cause I love football and this is what I've wanted to do since I was a kid. I've always wanted to be yeah. an agent. So it comes very natural to me, but to someone else, it may not. And it's a lot more difficult to do on balance, all of these things, but I'm naturally a person that likes to be busy and I like to do multiple things and I like to surround myself with, with new challenges and new tasks. And you know, some people don't, and there's nothing wrong with that. And obviously that that's how I know that I think I'm in the right field and I found my profession and I still have a lot of learning to do and it can be very overwhelming at times, but yeah, the, the whole, you know, you're in a nice suit and you're hopping out of your nice car and you're <laughs> jumping on the plane to go see your players. Some of that is true. Like, you know, I got to fly to Miami to see one of my players play for the national team of Cuba, which was, you know, incredible. So it was really cool. I got to take a three day trip to Miami to watch a game and, into right. you know, the, the Subaru parks to watch a player play for um, Chicago fire too. And, now i'll be flying out to memphis tennessee to watch two of my players play against each other so it's cool and it's it's definitely good to be able to meet your players and see them but that is probably like the one percent of my job where i get to go do fun things like that and the other part of it is all of these other things that i'm speaking to you about
0: right um what would you say is the craziest story so far as mm. uh from your experience being an agent um craziest in what
1: way I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say ben foster to wrexham okay that was how a did cool. that go down i wasn't i wasn't actually a part of that deal that was rich from my uh richard leah on my boss mm-hmm. and you know he basically just told me on he called me one day and he goes i just took ben foster to wrexham it's gonna be announced in a couple weeks and i was like what and <laughs> yeah he said it was like a really easy conversation he called the club up and that's what i'm saying he Rexham weren't asking for anything right. rich said richard was like yo the, the number one went down Rob Layton's injured. They have eight games left in the year. Fans retired. Would you be willing to do it? And we were able to work into the negotiation that the GoPro had to be allowed in mm-hmm. games so he could film. Um, we had to get a special podcast appearance, which I think is going to happen eventually. I'm not going to say too much about it. And okay. then there was other things with his YouTube channel that we built into the contract so that it would work for all the parties. So now it's resulted in now him resigning. But it's kind of cool when I see the the Foscast and the Cycling GK videos that those videos are directly because of my agency and they're mm. directly because Rich reached out and was able to create a short term deal. So it, it's interesting because I see all of you know those videos. And I'm like, wow! If, if we hadn't done that move for him, would we still be seeing this content again? And now mm. the content's incredible. And I think that's for me one of the, the eye opening experiences where I was like, wow, that was really something we did and you know, when I when I'm seeing my player play for Cuba and he's saving a penalty in Miami, I'm like, How like how did I get here? Like this is incredible. Like this is like mm-hmm. this is everything I've ever dreamed of. I got goalkeepers playing and you know, when 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 Javi sent me his, his jersey signed, I was like, This is perfect. This is this is everything I wanted to do.
0: Right, bro. And and I think, I mean, from obviously from the outside looking in, that whole saga, I mean, I was obviously invested. I I follow the the Foscas as well. Um I just thought it was perfect in terms of obviously Wrexham reaching a new audience. I wouldn't even say new audience, but like obviously like a more niche yeah. audience. Um, obviously with, uh, with Ben Foster growing his audience, right. Because of Wrexham's American ties, obviously with, you know, the owners. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously it, it was like a dream, a dream move that was able to work, work each other out. But um, honestly, yeah, I do think that's crazy. Um, and I guess, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't have ask any like traveling questions, but I mean, obviously, like that's all paid for by you. I'm guessing. No. Uh, no. Nice. So, I mean, <laughs> I I'm not. So that's not, my here, but <laughs> I have
1: a, I have an extra amount of, of reimbursement.
0: so yeah.
1: Every month, I have a specific number of reimbursement that I I could hit, and um, you know, it's great because I get all the travel points on my mm-hmm. credit card and. I get my reimbursement at the end of the month as part of and, and my salary as well so reimbursement separate um and it, all I, I basically pay for it on my card i get all the mm-hmm. travel points i then use the reimbursement money that comes in my bank account basically free and then at the end of the year i'm gonna have a, a nice vacation with some free miles and some free hotel rooms with all the points that i've uh occurred for incurred for free and yeah, so it, it it's definitely nice. And you know, look, if it's a longer trip, I might have to, to go over a little bit monetarily-wise. Um, That's right. kind of the nature nature of it. Um, But with, with my salary, I'm, I'm able to cover it. But yeah, traveling is a big part of being an agent and seeing your players and, and being able to meet them and, and take them out to eat and have conversations and get to know them on a human level is important. And that's definitely something that it, they, they stress heavily. And it's a little different in England and, and in Dubai where, you know, you can you can drive a car from the top of England to the bottom of England in 24 hours. Where you right. know, if you were in the United States, it's going to take you a, a couple weeks. So the price of flying is is definitely steep. So I try to make sure all my flights are on the East Coast just to make it you know most budget friendly for myself and for the agency.
0: Okay, um, so obviously, th- I mean, I appreciate all the all the you know the background, the details of you being an agent. So I guess want to transition more towards you love the game. Um, what would you say is the craziest match you've been to?
1: Oh, honestly, the one I was just at, Guatemala versus Cuba. Okay. I have never been in in an atmosphere like that before. It was incredible. I mean, I've been to England. I've watched Man City play Leicester City. I've, I've watched Jamie Vardy chip Ederson. Like that was that was scenes like seeing like the limbs of the the Leicester City fans like throwing beer on me. It was great. It was a crazy game, <laughs> but the you know spanish-speaking countries and their love for football and their craziness and it was a great atmosphere because they weren't like violent toward each other Mm -hmm. they were just two prideful countries that were just so happy to be there playing each other but the guatemala fans were like incredible and the stadium was like shaking and that was for me i was like this is the first time i've flown to miami by myself to watch a soccer game and I was watching it, and I was just like, "What in the world am I sitting in?" And I'm like the only English speaker in the entire stadium, and I'm like, well, "I don't even know what's happening around me." It was insane.
0: I mean, obviously, I mean that's a good, uh, I guess, prep prep game for what's going to be like in the future for uh for that stadium. Um, you yeah. know, hint, hint, messy. But
1: I I don't think that stadium can can hold enough people. I mean, that's I'll give you a little insight about that stadium. There's no suites. Okay. There's no VIP seating. It's like if you were to buy a really tall bleacher, like just generic bleachers, and just put them in a square. Like that's what the stadium is. There's nothing to it, oh, and like man. you can see the bleachers behind the stadium. And it's it's. I don't think it will hold. I think they need more more seating. I think they plan to build a new stadium. Yeah, they do. and I mean, don't don't get me wrong. The surface is very nice, but
0: the stand section is, is pretty generic. Mm. And I mean, honestly, it's kind of surprising because obviously I know, like in terms of, like the obviously like how Miami is built. It's kind of hard to build a stadium like that. And yeah. especially with, I mean, obviously they can look at hard rock stadium, but like, um, obviously that will be like a very temporary thing just because obviously the Miami dolphins are going to be playing mm. there soon. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, but obviously it's good for the league, but also I can see that being a problem, obviously. Um, so, um, I guess in my, in my next question, obviously I'm going towards like the lighter questions now. Um, I guess, what game do you think is the best football-related game in terms of telling the whole story?
1: Argentina-France. Okay. Yeah, that was a big one. I think that was just like... I think the world wanted Messi to win, you know, myself included. And, like, it, it's a great it's a great life lesson. Like, y- you can score three goals, and sometimes it's just not enough. Hmm. Like, you score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, and that's football. Like, that's, that's just football. And it, it's like, you know, you have a guy that... He's, he's failed in 2014. He's right. retired from the international stage, and he's come back and he's won a World Cup. Then you have a younger kid who was who about – Mbappe is on his second World Cup. Yep. He scored a hat-trick in the final, and you still – like, that's just football. And then, you know, you got – you know, Emmy Martinez is doing his little dance. And now there's a rule yeah. against that. You know, Lloris is at the end of his career, his last game ever for Tottenham Hotspur. He's already won a World Cup. So it, it was one of those where, like, there's so many, like, little life lessons in that. And, like, at the end of the day, like, I just look at that game and I'm like, that's football. Like, it went it went 120 minutes in pens. Like, that's football.
0: Right. Especially, like, it was, like, like you said, like, Messi, it was two, they were 2-0 up. And then, you know, Mbappe does that, you know, in the second half, just goes crazy. And mm-hmm. then, obviously, I mean, obviously, obviously, he scored that pen. So, he technically scored four goals, but obviously it doesn't really count like that. But, like you said, I think it tells the whole story. And for somebody who's, like, in a casual, you know, I think that's the game I would say as well. I'll point to. I'll say either that or the Aguero game where he scored the, yeah. and, you know, the 93rd minute. But. I try
1: to I try to stay away from from those moments. I mean, there's yeah. definitely a few that like. Uh, there's a few who really stand out. Well, I mean, I, I'm more of like standout saves for me like lately. Okay. Joe Hart versus Swansea City in 2015. You get a chance to look that up. It was a header off a corner onto his left side and it was just ridiculous and that for, me was like, that. that for me is probably the best save that i've ever i've ever seen in my life
0: genuinely he was underrated so underrated um and obviously i'm not going to talk more about city but obviously i'm a, I'm a city fan but that doesn't really matter everyone knows that i
1: i, I plead the fifth i yeah. i plead the fifth right. i i i am i'm definitely a city fan i've been a city fan since 09 but i I'm, I'm a fan of all my players and i'm right. a fan of good fo- I'm, a, I'm a fan of good football. It's, it's it's cliche, but like I'll watch United play. I'll watch Chelsea play. I don't care. I just want to yeah. watch good football. But at the end of the day, if, if Mount City are, are winning from it, I'm very happy. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'll am i watch any game as long as it's good football. It's, it's good quality, and, and that's all I really care about.
0: Absolutely, bro. And that's what it is at the end of the day, right? Put all the biases aside. It's all about the love of the game. Um, so I guess my next question, who do you think should win the Ballon d'Or? Who do you think will win?
1: I mean... I know who should win, but I'm, these, these, these are my two. These are like two of my favorite players. You have Holland and you have Messi, right? And I think it'll be a, it'll be like a Frank Ribery situation where you know you win that travel, but he wins the World Cup and he's got the most goals and assists in the world. Like people, people talk about that and they're like Messi had a bad year. I'm like he has the most goals and assists, the most goal contributions in the entire world for the year. Yeah. So it's one of those where, like, you look at Holland's numbers. And I think Holland may win it just off pure broken broken records as well as the travel. Mm-hmm. I would really like to see Holland win it. I think he deserves it. But that being said, I think Holland the past the last eight games of the year he's really poor. I, I think in terms of what we've seen him at. I mean, I, I he drags a lot of space out. He drops in. Defenders come with him. You know, if Holland wasn't in the box for the the, the Champions League final and that ball spills out, like that's that's easy pickings for a six. Right. But Holland drags two center backs to him, and the ball spills out off of a rebound, and then you have Rodri can run onto it for free. If Holland's not in the box there, that that, that that's not an opening. That that ball Absolutely. is closed down, hundred percent. So he does a lot of willing running, and he does a lot of like he controls space, he controls. But I mean, like, I mean, you t- you take the second leg against Real Madrid. You know, Holland could have three, and I think. It seems sound crazy. This is my my unpopular opinion. I think Holland is is not as great at finishing as people say it is. I think. Yeah. You know, Instinctual, but I, I, there's a couple moments where I'm like, I'm scoring that. I, like genuinely, like there's a few where you know he gets in against Real Madrid and he puts the ball on his right foot, and you know Courtois makes a good save with his arm and it comes off the bar. But you know I put Agüero in the situation, goal. You know I, I the header save on court, the Courtois I made the header save. um The second one where he tips around the bar, it's a good save, but a little more error than that, goal. I mean then the first one where he heads it back in the Courtois and he's running across goal, I put Harry Decay in that situation, it's a goal. Yep. So. But I think the scary thing in what I'm saying is is that he scored 61, 63 goals this year, and yep. he could have had, like, 10 more if he developed a little bit better at finishing. Right. That's, that's the crazy part to me. Because, you know, he's he he's doing flying back heels against Dortmund. You can't teach that. He's doing bicycle kicks against Southampton. You can't teach that. Um, you know, he's he's running through the hole and, and pushing over a center back and then rounding the goalkeeper against Brighton. Like, it, it's a joke. Right. But, like I said, like, there's a few moments a game where I'm like, how has he not scored like how is, yeah. how how's he done that you know so i think there's a higher ceiling for him and i think if he i think i think if you're gonna win a ballon door and it's not gonna be messy this year it, it has to be holland so either either one i'm happy with but i'd mm. like to see holland
0: i think i mean i think i agree with you with holland not being as clinical of a, of a finner, finisher finisher mm. as you know as people say because i see him as a very volume striker if that makes any sense mm-hmm. like, Think of it like a Steph Curry who shoots a lot of threes, right? He may yep. miss a lot, but he, you know, obviously he's one of the greatest greatest shooters in the world. But with his positioning, obviously he's good at that. He's probably the best in the world, at p- positioning wise. You can't but teach it. It's his. It's his ability also with his right foot. Sometimes he doesn't know how to cut onto his right. He's very left footed, favored. Um, well, and also, yeah, he, he you can't. Know, create-
1: he can't create his luck and that that's that's right. the thing where look you have you have Kevin De Bruyne you're going to add Kovacic. it's going to be it's going to be good i think you get another winger in there provide some service a little bit more pace i think i think it goes galore right what i love to see from Holland, he did it once th- this year where he took the ball from midfield he drove against wolves and he dragged on with his right foot into the left side right that is yeah. like if you if you can do that and you can find the pockets and you can go with the ball like like a full phone drops in goes you add that to your game, it's just you're so much more dynamic. And I think that's the difference between Mbappe and and Holland. I think I think Holland is a more instinctual finisher. He relies mm-hmm. on service for find the ball. But I mean, if I give the ball to Mbappe, I know he's going to go for a goal every single time. You know, right. and that's that's where I think you know he adds that that little game, you know, the little one twos on the edge of the box, or or you know, little tight control between players when he's cutting through the eighteen, like the, like you're saying, like those little intricacies, like for a number nine, like a Thierry Henry type of striker, or like mm-hmm. a Zlatan type of striker, where the close control is incredible, because you know the, the concern always is is like when when KDB leaves, what what what's left? Then don't get me wrong, he scored goals at Dortmund, he scored goals at Salzburg. I don't think it's a, a you know I don't think it's just service, but are are you going to break sixty goals a year without service? No, right. right, exactly. And I think I think the more impressive thing this year was Harry Kane scored thirty in a Tottenham side. Yep, like I think I think that should this, look this, that is, more. This, this, this is an unpopular opinion. I think Harry Kane would have scored more goals this year than Holland if he was playing in Man City's team. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Harry Kane, like I said, he has the ability to drop in. He can shoot from range. He can, you know, he gets involved in the build-up. He involves the wingers. I think Holland is very much the highest man in the attack. Yep. He, he's going to get behind. You know, I don't think he scored a goal from outside the box besides the Wolves goal, and that was dragged across the floor. So I think, you know, you're scoring 30 in the Tottenham team. Imagine if you were in City's team this year. I think you would hit 40. Like, it, it's a joke, and... You know, his his involvement in build-up play, but that being said, you know, Holland's only 22. Like, all of these things can develop over time. You know, Harry Kane was at North City until, you know, he was, like, what, 23, and he was at Leicester yep. and, and doing different stints. So, the fact that he's playing at the level that he is at this age is it, not a discredit or disservice to his ability, but mm-hmm. there's definitely things that need to be developed, and especially in a Guardiola system. Because usually, usually with Guardiola, the second year is your best year. So... The fact that he's put up sixty-one in his first club year with City and Guardiola is is a bit of a joke, to be honest.
0: Yeah, bro, I definitely agree with you on all those points. And I guess this will be the final question before you know we can hop off. Um, simple, simple choice, two choices, right? FIFA or Football Manager. FIFA. Five.
1: Mm, <sighs> I just yeah, so this is my this is <laughs> this is my. So, you know, when you like, you ever played basketball outside or you're, you're out of field and a car drives by. Absolutely. You're like, you're like, that might be, that might be Guardiola in his car. Like that, <laughs> I think Sir Alex Ferguson is driving by and you're like, let me just smash a knuckle. So you never like, you're playing basketball and you're like, I got to throw a windmill down or something like that. That, that feeling will never leave my body. And mm. that like childlike feeling of like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get scouted. I'm going to, I'm going to score a goal and get recruited. I still feel the same way that I, when I'm 10 playing FIFA than I do now when I'm playing FIFA, where it's like, I scored a goal. Oh my God, what a finish. I tucked it around the goalkeeper. (laughs) Like I'm playing pro clubs with myself. I scored a goal. Like those little feelings. Oh my God, they'll never leave my body. So for that reason, I love FIFA because I can play the games. I can show off. I can have fun. I can score pretty goals. I can interplay headers. I love playing as a target, man. Right, mm-hmm. Football manager is cool, and I actually think it comes really in handy with my job because it has all of the details and the potential. But for me, yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of money on FIFA, probably more than I ever should. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like a couple, couple, a lot, a lot. I'm not even getting the details. Oh, glad I have a. a... The good news is, is that FIFA helped me now work for FIFA, so I think it was a worthwhile investment, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it came full circle because you know I know every player in the entire world. It's a bit of a joke, um, but yeah, that that feeling of like someone's going to see you scoring a goal and the adrenaline you get from like scoring goals oh my, and like making a good save that I lives with me forever. And that's yeah. why I love people.
0: I mean, absolutely. I mean, well, what a way to you know wrap up podcast. I think you couldn't put it any better than that because I think people see it in a different aspect. You know, people see it through the ultimate team aspect, not through the pro clubs. Like, you no, know, like- I'm, age. exactly.
1: And like, I'm a big, I'm a big ultimate team
0: guy, but if pro mm-hmm. clubs was better, I would only play pro clubs. Oh, well, absolutely. absolutely. But, right.
1: Like, and it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like, I would, I would only play pro clubs if they made pro clubs better because one, it's just way,
0: it's just way more fun. Yeah. I mean, basically playing as, I mean, obviously it's a virtual version of yourself, but like, you know, with, with your boys or whatnot. Sometimes, exactly. Um,
1: and it's, it's good fun. And I actually got rid of my, for work, to focus on work, I got rid of my computer and I got rid of my Xbox. So I haven't been playing in a minute, but mm-hmm. I think I think with my first paycheck, I'm I'm gonna have to pick up like an old Xbox One, so I can I can play because I I miss it, and
0: mm.
1: it's one of those things where like it, it's always good. I always tell people it's really good to have different outlets in life, and you can't let it consume you. And my right. biggest issue with with things is I get very addicted and latched on to, to things for you know certain period of time. So like if you're able to manage and have a healthy balance of, of playing games and doing like real life and, and stuff like that. I get, I trust, I get it. I get the feeling of it. It's addicting. It's a compliment accomplishments, but if you're able to generate a healthier lifestyle with it, which I struggle with, Oh, I think it's a great tool for, for balancing mental health and, and getting an escape. So I'm definitely going to getting an Xbox
0: sooner or later. There you go. So yeah, Microsoft, you know, hook up my man, right. Real quick. You know, uh, I'll,
1: I'll have to message him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess that will do it for, you know, episode six. <laughs> um zach you know i appreciate you you know hopping on especially during you know obviously you know it's not the busiest of times obviously it'll be the winter time that'll be the busiest for you but um no i appreciate you know your insight you know talking about you know not only you know your job but you know your background with with the sport and you know obviously your academics and how you know everything came into fruition so um yeah guys if you liked what you know if you like this episode you know leave a like uh comment on the q a if you like the if you liked the episode um and also have a poll going on asking you know what your dream job is in football and why so um if you guys want to engage on that you know like share retweet um you know do whatever you want to do you know because I feel like the, a lot of the information that Zach you know spit out was really really important and a lot of things that people don't really see with the sport um so yeah guys uh that'll do it have a good one